0: Hello, and welcome to episode 185 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here with,
1: not just as always... Oh, that's my cue, Jason Rabinowitz, <laughs> and here uh, live on location in the basement of Ned Russell's house. Say hi, Ned. Hey, guys. How you doing? Best
0: intro ever. I'm not even cutting it. So welcome, folks. Welcome to the podcast. This is how we start today. Yeah, Jason and Ned are together in Washington, DC. So Ned is joining us for the entire show. So either welcome, Ned, or I'm so sorry, Ned. We'll see how this goes by the end. Ned Russell, for those that don't know, is a good friend of the show and is also, incidentally, I guess, the editor of Skift's airline weekly. So Ned, thanks so much for A, hosting Jason and B, joining the show this week.
2: It's always a pleasure, but we can't forget our fourth host, which is my dog,
1: Heathrow, who is napping ah, yes. uh, about a few feet away.
0: Welcome, Heathrow, to the program. We'll see. Yeah,
1: she she finally simmered down and is taking a nap just long enough for us to do this podcast. So let's knock this
0: Excellent. out. Excellent. Let's get it in. So we start the show this week with a rather- More um, dreamlifter
1: shenanigans.
0: Yeah. I guess the best way to describe it is plane goes up, wheel goes down. A wheel on one of the main landing gear bogies of one of the dreamlifters, departing Tanto in Italy, bound for Charleston, came off. It was recorded on video as so many things are these days. So A, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And B, the wheel fell, bounced, and landed on the airport property somewhere and was recovered. The aircraft continued along because, hey, what's a wheel when you've got 18? I mean, 18 minus one is 17, still seems like a good enough number to fly with and land. The plane landed in Charleston, no problem. Landed just fine. and I just assume that a few folks are going to have some difficult conversations
1: with their managers. Not only did the wheel depart the bogey and the aircraft, but was it also smoking that I see in the video or what was – There was a little more going on than just the wheel departed.
0: Yeah. So From the video, what it looks to me like happened, there was smoke became apparent and then the wheel came off. Yes. Oh. Um, so it's unclear what the smoke was being generated by, but that was kind of the, there was smoke, then the wheel went for a ride.
1: Yeah. One or of those incidents where, where, where you, you see a headline every now and then that says like, oh, aircraft lost a wheel, continued on, no problem. And you go, oh, okay, no big deal. But when you see the video of an aircraft like the Dreamlifter taking off and that just the wheel- Nope's out and just flies away. It puts it's a little more dramatic. It was a fun video since nobody got hurt, thankfully. Yeah, and
0: what surprised me the most was that the tire didn't deflate.
1: It just it hit the ground fully inflated, looking and just kind of boing away. Just just going away. It kept going. It
0: did not deflate whatsoever. When it was found, the hub was intact. The tire was still inflated, and I guess they just kind of bring it back to the hangar and wait for the next Dreamlifter to pick it up. But yeah, so no one was hurt. The plane landed safely, but just a rather bizarre incident to have occurred and caught on video, no less. So check that out in the show notes. One of the interesting things was is the Dreamlifters are operated by Atlas Air. And the thing that I recalled as the flight was in the air was the December 2014 incident where a Virgin Atlantic 747 was the right- Outside main landing gear failed to deploy, or there was an issue, and then the aircraft began its return. And then the main landing gear, the right main landing gear, failed to deploy. So the aircraft landed on three out of four main landing gears. And so I don't know if it's ironic, but interestingly enough, that particular aircraft, after it was repaired, flew for Virgin Atlantic for a long time and then went on to fly for Atlas Air and currently flies for Atlas Air now.
1: Yeah. I remember watching that one land at Gatwick. Again, another dramatic thing that was caught on video that wouldn't have really made many headlines unless it was on video. And it was uh, quite dramatic again, seeing the aircraft kind of leaning over to one side since you you, kind of need all the sets of landing gear. They're very helpful. Yeah,
2: they are very helpful. But it also goes to show the number of gear shows there is redundancy built into it, which is the great thing about modern aircraft is Every system has a backup, and yes, you can lose a gear or two and still and still wheel. land or a wheel, a wheel and or and the whole
1: land. thing. Who needs the landing gear anyway? Or if you're locked <laughs> flying a seven six seven, you don't need any of them. You just land on the. belly. You
0: don't need any gears. You can just do a belly landing. Yeah, that's exactly. um, and a go
1: kart track, no less.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a different incident. I think that uh, than the one Jason's referring to. That's a little more um, Canadian. Yeah, that's a little more Canadian. But yeah, that's always a fun one to look up. The Gimli Glider, if folks aren't familiar with that particular incident. Luckily, everyone was you know, perfectly fine in all of those incidents. So this week, I guess, much more mundane, but all's well, that ends well. We'll take it. The end of the show last week, or the end of the recording that we did last week. So episode 184, We pressed record. We made some words. We talked with Michael Carrolls and had a, a great conversation about being a dispatcher. Then we hit stop. And as soon as we hit stop on the recording, news broke that American Airlines pilots were against any extension of the certification timeline for the 737 MAX 7 and 737 MAX 10. The pilot union came out against that as soon as we stopped recording. Then a day later, Southwest pilots who operate aircraft for an airline that actually has MAX 7 on order. The American Airlines pilots don't. They don't really have a flying interest in these particular aircraft, though they do have a general interest. Southwest pilots, who are scheduled to operate MAX 7 aircraft, have said, we think there should be an
2: extension.
1: Yeah. Well, the airline that you know flies the aircraft wants the aircraft to actually yeah. fly and, and be capable of being delivered in the near future.
2: I like to think of it as the pilots who will benefit from that plane being delivered want the extension, but the pilots who don't want the extension.
1: I mean, I get yeah, it. It, 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 it sounds ridiculous, works. but I, I do totally understand where both sides are coming from here.
0: Well, it might not matter because as David Shepperton at Reuters reported this week, the amendment that we talked about last week by Senator Wicker is not included in the defense authorization bill which is the must pass bill that this change was supposed to be attached to so nobody would vote against it and it would pass and extend the deadline into 2024. That particular amendment is not included in this version of the defense authorization bill. As of That's Wednesday October be,
1: 12th 7:32 yes. p.m., you know check back at 8:32 p.m. and it could be a different story. Right. Absolutely. So by the time like this the podcast ends, out, there, Friday, we know the
2: legislative process takes many twists and turns on Capitol Hill, and so I feel like there are
1: more twists and turns in this saga. For Wait, sure. I'm in DC. We could just go yeah. a few blocks that way and talk should, to. Some I mean, people we can look to Senator Hill. Ricker's address. Just pop yeah, on by. Why do you think I'm in DC, Ned? <laughs> to certify the max. I like yep, it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm an agent of Boeing. Jason's now hands on. Couldn't be farther from the truth. But <laughs> yeah, that's just kind of American politics. If you want something. Approved by Congress, yet you literally staple it onto an existing bill and and let it ride through with something else, something like the National Defense Spending Bill, which they're not going to turn down probably. I don't think this bill could reasonably stand a chance of being passed on its own, so it's got to be tacked onto something. And if if it's not this, then I would have to wonder what it would be attached to.
2: And. I- We can't forget it's an election year. We have midterms in under a month. So there's a little else that's going to be going through Congress, except we got the lame duck section, but lame duck section.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see whether or not any of this is included. I still think, as I said last week, I still think we're going to see this pass, whether if it's with the defense authorization or some other must pass bill, or if they find a way to you know to put it through on its own i have a feeling this is going to come through because there's just looking at the timeline there's just no way the faa can certify either of these aircraft let alone the max 10 by the end of this year well they've, I, I, they've I mean, outright
1: the that. faa has outright said it's not going to happen yeah, it's because it's going hasn't submitted the necessary anything to actually make that happen so an extension is needed otherwise i mean i guess If they don't get the extension by the end of the year, I'm assuming they can still do it next year. And I don't know. Is it the kind of thing that needs to be done by the end of this year? Or can they just do it in June of next year? I don't
2: know. Oh, it's Congress. I'm sure they could pass it early next year and have it retroactive. Exactly. Think about a second CARES Act, PSP. like It lapsed for a few weeks, or was it over a month? And then they passed it retroactively. So they could do it. I mean, let's not forget, though, Boeing is the U.S.'s largest exporter. It is very much in Congress's and the administration's. It's something they want to do is is support the country's largest exporter. So like you said, I'm with Ue, and I think it's going to happen in one form or another.
0: Welcome to the United States Congress where the points are made up and nothing matters or something like that. I'm staying away from getting into a trademark infringement issue with the fine folks. I don't even know who owns that show anymore. But let's stick with the Max and talk about, I guess, some good news for Boeing or just news. The first 737 Max flight carrying passengers to happen in China took place this week. Mia Mongolian Airlines, not a Chinese airline, but... A Mongolian airline operated the first flight flying from Ulaanbaatar to Guangzhou. So, not the restart that I think everyone was expecting, but interesting nonetheless as the first 737 MAX flight since in China to carry passengers since March of 2019.
2: I mean, it shows that, I mean, the Chinese authorities, they certainly are willing to let the MAX fly and fly in their airspace. The ultimate question is, of course, when they let the Chinese airlines actually fly them. And of course, that's a multi-billion dollar question for Boeing with all their orders. But it's a signal to me that you know they've at least tacitly approved them officially, but we know that official and what actually happens are two different things. And in China,
0: I mean, I think it makes it if it wasn't already crystal clear, I think it makes it even more that can you be more than crystal clear that this has nothing to do with safety at this point?
2: Oh, absolutely! It has nothing it's to do entirely with political. Or geopolitical it's political at this point.
0: I mean, it has been for a very long time, but I think there was some existing pretense of, okay, we're making sure everything has been done. We've crossed eyes, dotted t's, done safety work, done retraining, done test flights. But we're just slowly making sure that we get everything right. Letting you know, allowing this particular flight to occur. I mean, it just puts it in stark relief. I think.
1: Yeah. Not the airline I would have had on my bingo card for the first to resume max flights to or from China, but happy to see an airline get a crack at it.
2: Absolutely. And if you know, think about the region, uh, Korean Air has got the max. You've got, you know, maxes, uh, I think we've got maxes are in Japan. Like it opens up at least the flying of the aircraft for many airlines in the region to China, which is something you know, I think about Seoul and all of those flights can be flown by seven thirty-sevens from Seoul into north and eastern China. So you know, it's it is something.
0: Yeah, I mean their second max flight. So what's interesting here is that so Miat Mongolian Airlines took delivery of its first, and at this point only, they had two on order. They took delivery of the first one days before it was grounded worldwide.
1: Oh, that's unfortunate oh, for the accountants there.
0: It was one of the last maxes to be delivered before they were grounded by the FAA were you know, all over the world. And then it sat for three years and then in August it started flying again, but on the ACME market, and so it went and flew for Tunis Air. So you have this Mongolian Airlines livery flying you know, Tunis to Paris to to destinations elsewhere in France, in Italy, Algeria. It was just you know this very interesting site, I'm sure to you're like, where is this plane coming from? And then all of a sudden, you know, if you're flying Tunis, Air, you're like, oh, this is my plane.
2: I imagine the questions like, are we flying
1: to Mongolia today? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you
0: land in Tunis, you're like, wait a minute,
1: <laughs> this isn't Mongolia. I mean, I guess you
0: could be. Discipline I mean they both have deserts. So you know that's-, that's true. That's true. But yeah, so then they did that until the end of September and then beginning of October, they brought the aircraft back and operated their first max flight. So the first max flight by the airline with people who bought tickets for the airline was to China. So a day of firsts for them. and then their second flight was actually to Ned's Point. That was to Seoul. So they I mean there are plenty of range there. So it'll just be interesting to see how other airlines are able to navigate what seems to be a softening of max allowances.
2: Yeah, definitely. And in the Seoul flight, probably had to overfly Chinese airspace, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It flew. So
2: yeah. Yeah. Chinese authorities are definitely letting the max fly. That's for sure.
0: So Ned, you wrote an article today about a big announcement that Delta Airlines and Joby, a eVTOL startup. They've done a deal, and I would love for you to tell me about that. Okay. Because it sounds big.
2: <laughs> it is big. It is big. Delta is investing $60 million, potentially going up to $200 million in Joby, in what is going to be a premium Home to flight as they or home to seat
1: is what they home-ish. Yes. home ish. Yes, clarify it's not home because the ish. EVTOL, believe it or not, cannot land on your roof. You have <laughs> solar panels up there; it'll crush them.
2: That is true. That is true. I'll let it land at the high school parking lot across, down the road. We'll do that. But so they did this deal where they Joby is going to operate this premium seamless service to get home ish to the airport in initially in LA and New York. And it's going to be fully operated by Joby with Delta, so integrated with Delta. And interestingly, Delta has an exclusivity contract for this premium service that Joby's going to be operating. So, Joby can't partner with anyone else for five years in the US and UK. So, it's different from past deals because those were American, United, and everything. They signed MOUs and bought a bunch. But here, Delta has not bought a single EV toll, but they're investing in Joby and this new product that Joby's going to fly for them.
1: Yeah, Delta came out swinging. Pretty heavily with this. I had mentioned in a previous episode that United and American and lots of other airlines—they're going crazy buying the rights to eVTOL, sixty here, two hundred there. Pepper in a couple supersonic aircraft because why not? And Delta's just kind of been sitting there in Atlanta, not really doing anything, just watching everyone. And they come out with this agreement, an exclusivity agreement that no one else can—at least in this particular market—I think use Joby for exactly what Delta's doing here, which is this premium branded service, which is kind of seems just like the helicopter interline thing they offer with Blade now, except hopefully a, a heck of a lot quieter, knock on wood there. But it seems like Delta really sat on the side, did their homework, analyzed what could potentially be worth investing in, and then just kind of did it.
2: Yeah, I agree with Jason. Joby, Delta really did their homework. This is a very unique deal in the eVTOL space. And really, it goes deeper than all of the past deals. And I legitimately see, like this gives me an idea of what commercial operation could look like because United and Americans and all of them, and, you know, they've done orders and stuff. But here, I have an image of what Delta wants to do. They want to fly you from the local heliport in, say... Vertiport. Vertiport. It's a Vertiport. Yes, Vertiport. I'm imagining the one on top of the tallest building in downtown LA, which, of course, the aliens blew up, but we have rebuilt. Bad joke, but... to LAX or something along those lines. But you can really see that with Delta here. Now, one of the things that jumped out at me is, of course, the question is, is, you know, what kind of... Uptake do airlines see with these things? Because we're talking about four-seater VTOLs. Well, in Delta and Joby's SEC disclosure, they noted that they expect as many as a thousand passengers a day once the operation is fully up and running. Which I did the math. That in LA, for example, that would account for about 5% of all of Delta's daily seats, which that's a it, lot. That's a lot. That's more than I expected, actually. So it's interesting to see that. Of course, that's full operational. That's not day one, but, you know, it's interesting to see the targets that they have.
1: And the difference, what feels like makes this different to me is that United and American, they're going to buy 200 of these and they're going to have Mesa Airlines fly it or, or Gojet or someone. Gojet and Mesa don't know what to do with these aircraft. They're going to do what United and American tell them to do with it. And we don't really know what they want to do with it. You see these images of it flying over the Grand Canyon or landing on a sand dune somewhere out in California. And that's not realistic. That's not what these aircraft are going to do because they don't have the range to do anything really useful in that regard. But if we're talking about flying from the Wall Street helipad to JFK, that's already a viable service. And we know that because helicopters do it today, it's a proven market. I struggle to see 5% of Delta's passengers in major cities utilizing a service like that. But clearly, they've done their homework. I mean, I'm just sitting here hoping, that, you know, the A train will go to JFK a little bit faster and more reliably. But if this is what Delta wants to invest their money in, it's their business.
2: I mean, we're in Washington, Jason. I mean, it's the silver line, really. When the silver line will finally go to Dallas, when the Angels win the pennant. <laughs> um, but another thing that jumped out at me about this deal or stands out to me is there's still a lot of questions. And particularly, you know, Joby is the furthest along in certifying eVTOLs. It looks like they've already got part 135. They're looking on track for full certification by 2024. But there's the airspace question, you know, a lot of how is the FAA going to integrate all these eVTOLs flying from a bunch of different vertiports to an airport into already congested airspace. We've been talking about air traffic control staffing in Florida and the Northeast this year. Airlines, of course, say it's understaffed. FAA says something else. But there's just a lot of questions. And then you start to think about these major cities. So yes, to Jason's point, existing service could replace Wall Street to JFK. Great. But the idea here is it's going to be more than that. So at some point, you're going to have communities like, wait a minute, do we want these EV tolls flying over us every 10 minutes, and then it comes down to noise. I think there's still no. a lot of questions
1: about the actual operational the where no. these things will fly. <laughs> it's going mean, to be that, a hard I, sell for a lot of places to put these vertiports and to approve these flights because right now in a lot of major cities, you can't approve a bike lane or a bus lane that, or like I mean, a, a piece me, of sidewalk, let alone that's a, a the hardest part. where automated or- Maybe automated one day electric e v tall aircraft will come and go. Like, where are these things going to fly to? Nobody knows that answer.
0: I mean, the setting is not even setting aside the technical thing. The technical hurdles are surmountable. With enough money, with enough time, with enough iteration, I have no qualms about any of these aircraft operating safely, reliably within range specification for whatever targets they set. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. The thing that is going to be the hardest is going to be getting people convinced that they want or will even tolerate a vertiport in their neighborhood.
2: Absolutely. because To the premium point, what communities are, Delta is going to want to serve rich communities. Those are also the ones that are most restrictive about homes, about anything being built in their communities. So
1: it's really going to be interesting to see how that how that comes down. And when they talk about the New York market, at least New York City itself, you cannot just land an aircraft anywhere you want. You have to land it on one of the designated heliports, and some of them are closed on weekends because of noise. And I think this past year, maybe it was in 2020, some helicopter operated landed on an open lot in Brooklyn. And an NYPD helicopter, I think we talked about this, chased them to New Jersey to reprimand them. Like You can't just land wherever you want, whenever you want, at least in major cities, because it is literally not legal to do that. So I'm very interested to see what Delta thinks they can do within realistically, I guess, 50 miles of JFK, because these aircraft don't have a ton of range, right? They need to fly out and probably get back and maybe one battery charge. I don't know. So I would love to see Delta's internal assessment on this program.
0: I mean, I think- I don't
1: I think, think they're going to give it to us.
0: No, I doubt it.
2: Hey, so Delta, could you keeping... send us your internal assessment, please? We'd love to get those <laughs> yeah. PowerPoint slides.
0: Yeah, if anyone from Delta is feeling generous. So keeping with this theme, Joby has actually partnered with Skyports, which is a company that is looking to build these vertiports to figure out how they're actually going to be operated. Joby says that their eVTOL is going to fly at 200 miles an hour, skip the traffic, fly directly to the destination, et cetera, et cetera. But we need to figure out how people are going to check in for their flights. We need to make sure that the experience stays premium, and that no one's standing in a very long line, that we're not you know, annoying the customers that we've promised this ultra premium experience. So they've partnered with Skyports to figure out how they're actually going to do that. Again, I would love to see some information on that. Yeah, because I assume
1: at all these VertiPorts, wherever they are, they're not going to have TSA operations there. So wherever you land at whatever major airport, LaGuardia or Newark, you're going to have to go landside, and they're going to shoo you back into the regular check-in flow, I guess. Or maybe there'll be a a special check-in for Joby passengers, but you're still going to have to go through security because almost certainly the TSA is not going to set up shop at, you know, the Levittown, New York, Vertiport for Joby and Delta or whatever.
2: Absolutely not. But I was thinking you could do something where you've got at JFK Newark, you know, the global services, the 1K, the Polaris queues sort of Slip you through by the back into TSA and you skip. I mean, maybe they do something like that.
1: 5% of passengers that's yeah. is
2: a lot. That's right. Exactly. So it's, there's a lot of questions still, even though they have this more almost fleshed out plan than what we've seen from other airlines.
0: Yeah. All of these things are going to happen. How they happen becomes a very interesting question that nobody has any answers to. But I do enjoy that. A lot of these companies are starting to take that question more seriously than just the question of, okay, now we have an aircraft. Great, but how do you get passengers into the aircraft? And the whole idea is that these connect to an airline. How do you do that? So I'm happy to, to see at least a few airlines starting to take that question much more seriously.
1: Yeah, we'll have answers for that in episode uh, 585.
0: There you go. So this was an interesting story that got legs, put its pants on and ran away before anybody really knew what they were talking about. That's
1: one way to put it.
0: (laughs) So I'm not exactly sure where the story started, but it kind of got legs when a travel blog posted an article about the fact that Lufthansa was banning AirTags, the Apple device that lets you keep track of whatever thing you've attached that tracker to. They said that Lufthansa was telling people that the trackers, because they were electronic devices, were not allowed in checked baggage, which completely defeats the purpose of attaching them to your checked baggage
1: so that you can track your checked baggage. Which people well, are only doing because the airlines, especially the European airlines, have been so horrifically bad at you know doing their jobs as it relates to delivering those bags, so it became right. a big thing this past summer of people stashing air tags in pretty much every one of their bags because it was literally the only way you were ever going to track your bag down to get it delivered because airlines were so overwhelmed with mal-delivered bags that the only way you could find it was to track it yourself. And even then some airlines, we've seen stories where they basically refused to acknowledge there was even a room with bags in it. And you'd have to show them your phone saying, there's bags there because my phone is showing it. And look, the door just opened their bags right there. We heard that story from a close friend of ours and we know it happened, but thankfully it seems like cooler heads prevailed The German authorities have reassured us that AirTags are like practically meaningless when it comes to radio emissions. They're Bluetooth low energy and the little CR25 button cell battery in them is also meaningless. I don't even think they're lithium ion, so they really don't present any risk. So keep stashing those AirTags in your bag. Hopefully you don't need them. But this is, yeah, as Ian said, one of those stories that just kind of ran away without anyone really doing their Homework or asking anyone if you know it was yeah, true. Or I not.
0: mean, what it sounds like is somebody was asked a question. A Lufthansa press officer was asked a question, gave an answer that was either it was mistranslated or that person was perhaps misinformed, and then it didn't immediately get corrected. And then, so it just, you know, travel blogs that took off and Lufthansa's banning air tags. Everyone's banning air tags. No more air tags for anybody. Your luggage is never going to be found again. Never check a bag again. And then when people actually asked various authorities, Lufthansa, the German authorities, ICAO, IATA, anybody, they were like, we don't see the problem.
1: No. And I think <laughs> and then, John then Walton pointed this out on Twitter that the industry has lost all it's valid talking points when it comes to Bluetooth anything on board. For years and years and years, they said, you can't use Bluetooth devices on board because they'll interfere with the aircraft. And then suddenly one day that all went away. It just snap of a finger, Bluetooth is no longer an issue. Hey, it turns out it was never an issue. Um, so this shouldn't really have ever come up as something that would be an issue because it's not even regular Bluetooth. It's Bluetooth low energy. So it's even lower on the spectrum Bored than you know, Bluetooth headphones because they they're not really doing much, stashed away in your bag. But thankfully, this was much to do about nothing. <laughs> But still good advice, don't check bags if you don't have to. It's just Yeah, I I mean,
0: absolutely. So I saw a video, one of the kind of vertical video short things. I I don't know whether it was like reels or something like that. TikTok, I'm not sure where it was exactly. But it was this woman who is a lawyer saying, I travel six months a year. And she was giving advice, the six things I do before I get on every flight or something like that. And one of them was take a picture of my checked bag so I can prove that you know this is the shape it was in before I get on the flight in case it's damaged. And my first thought was, if you are someone who's traveling six months out of the year professionally for days at a time, what are you doing checking a bag?
1: Yeah. I mean, watch up in the air where, what's his face, does the math on how many days of your life you will waste by waiting in line to check a bag, checking the bag, and then waiting for the bag. If you're on the road a lot, it amounts to days of your life a year waiting for your bag. So I'm suspicious of that claim. I'll
2: never forget the scene in that movie where his this co-worker comes and he takes her bag and it's just like, nope, nope, not throws taking it that. Just throws it all away. have got like, a pillow on the plane. Yeah.
1: Doesn't he buy her a new suitcase? Yeah, he does. Too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he's just like throws everything been, as all bags should.
0: This episode has completely unintentionally become very movie reference heavy.
1: It has. Yes. yes. Very
0: movie reference heavy. I'm enjoying this. I'm having fun. One new thing and then some follow ups, and then we'll wake up Heathrow.
1: Oh, Heathrow's already awake. She has joined us okay. on the couch.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go then. So, the Russian built MC 21, which we saw at last year's Paris air show and got to go inside, has been obviously subject to the sanctions put in place on Russian, well, everything. The aircraft was initially designed to be able to fly on Pratt & Whitney engines, as well as Russian built PD-14 engines. The aircraft has now flown. This is like the 1 that they converted for Cathay Pacific after it was a test aircraft and then Cathay took delivery of it. So the MC-21 has now flown with PD-14 engines after having its Pratt & Whitney engines removed, basically because the Russians couldn't get parts for the engines that they had and why continue to fly with them. So now they've swapped the engines and done the first flight with the domestic produced, designed and produced PD-14 engines. So an interesting conversion, an unexpected conversion, but making are the best of what they've many got.
1: MC-21s with Pratt engines that need to be converted at this point? They're probably so few produced. That two, this is, three maybe? You, two or three. So proof of concept. So all right, right, two, one of possibly two or three already done. Good job. You're already a third of the way.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: Let's see. So, what
0: else do we have on the update front? So, last week we talked about Lot taking six 737 MAX this month alone. Yeah. Basically being doubling being its delivered
1: by DoorDash or something within, within a month. <laughs> yeah.
0: There you go. On an e cargo bike. That would be cool.
2: E cargo bikes for the win. Plane pull. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That would be fun. So, As it turns out, we know pretty much exactly where those aircraft are coming from, courtesy of our good friend over at Boarding Room, and their take on the information was extremely helpful because it all makes very good, but sadly, very fad sense. And I said Boarding Room, I meant Boarding Pass, our good friends at Boarding Pass in Romania. Five of those aircraft are coming from Blue Air, their existing fleet. And then one of the aircraft is coming from Boeing that had already been painted into Blue Air, or well, I guess now technically a whitetail, and then we'll be moving over to Lot. So Lot picking up six aircraft from Blue Air. Blue Air actually announced today that their initial sixty day hiatus will be longer than sixty days. As uh, you know,
1: everyone. Expected, yeah. But In, at least the aircraft self. going to yeah. lot will be consistent, so it won't be like one from here, one from there, one from somewhere else. Right. They'll all be right. the same. So that's something.
2: I mean, fleet managers always tell me it's better to have a yeah, a sort of cohort of aircraft. You know, they're used all coming from the same place rather than onesies, twosies, all over the place.
0: Yeah. I mean, so it'll be interesting to see the differences in the... I'm not exactly sure the differences in the cabin between Lot and Blue Air. There are differences, but I'm not exactly sure where they are. So it'll be interesting to see how they fit that in the fleet, whether they eventually refit them or not. But look for those five X Blue Air and one almost X Blue Air 737 Max going over to Lot by the end of this month. So within the next couple of weeks. And then the last thing that we need to follow up on is we talked about the amazing load factors between St. Louis and Frankfurt on Lufthansa's flight. And Jason and I were both mystified. And as it turns out, you no longer need to be mystified because a very, very helpful listener wrote in and said, duh, it's the drugs.
1: Wait, what? They're drug running from
0: St. Louis to Frankfurt? Yes. So as it turns out, and I had completely missed this merger, I don't know how, because they're huge companies. Bayer, the German company, bought Monsanto, the
1: American I company. I also had no idea until we got that email.
0: Where's Monsanto headquartered?
2: I'm guessing St.
1: Louis.
0: And where is Bayer's headquarters? Clo- what airport are they closest to? Frankfurt it all makes sense now. Yeah, so a very very helpful listener was like, yeah, there's a lot of traffic between those two now. So it makes perfect sense to see those load factors when you have a built-in kind of like the former Apple San Francisco Shanghai route that we accidentally learned all about thanks to a few well-timed photos of placards, I think what would you do? It's signage in the employee lounge? Few years ago,
2: you know what it really reminds me of Ian is Americans' Raleigh London nonstop. I mean, isn't that funded by like BMW? Isn't it? It was another pharmaceutical company. Is it? Yeah, BMW's down in uh, Greenville. They do. They fund Lufthansa Charlotte Frankfurt nonstop. Ah, but yeah. These German companies—they've got their little tentacles out all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: they're doing a good job of subsidizing service. So you know that's why the route's working. But if you are in the St. Louis area and you want to go to Germany. You now have a nonstop flight. Good job.
1: Good luck getting on it though, since it's, you know, apparently so full. Every there, day.
0: There's a yeah, there, there, there's a couple seats left. It was like, what, 98%?
2: Yeah, there's so 1% left. The you can get that middle yeah. seat in the back by the lab. Yeah, that's empty.
0: I'll take what I can get, Ned. I will take what I can get. All right. So that's all we've got for you today. Ned Russell is the editor of Skifts Airline Weekly publication. And as has a dog named Heathrow, which is, I don't think we could get more on brand, but we'll try for a next episode.
2: You can just have me back or her. You I mean, you don't have to have me. I can just send Heathrow.
0: Oh, now there's a thought. We'll get Jason's cat, your dog, and the collection of pigeons that have taken residence outside <laughs> my house. And that'll be the podcast next week. Perfect. All right, then. Well, in any case, this has been episode 185 of AdTalk. I'm Ian Pechnick, and I'm here today with-
1: Ned Russell. And Jason Rubinowitz. Thanks for listening.
0: Going out on a high note. Thank you all so much for listening.